The scripture passage for this first Sunday in Lent comes from the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Luke, beginning at the first verse. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over, he was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, To you I will give their glory and all this authority. For it has been given over to me, and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. In this time of war and pandemic and unrest, we are hungry, merciful God, for your good word. Fill our emptiness, quench our thirst with words of hope for abundant and eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a friend of mine found a wallet full of cash near Publix on Bee Ridge Road. When I asked him what happened when he turned the wallet in, he said he hadn't done it yet. He was trying to decide if it was a temptation from the devil or an answer to prayer. <laughs> temptation can be sneaky, but it is ubiquitous. The final line in our scripture passage today is haunting. The devil departed from Jesus until an opportune time. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger's famous line in The Terminator, the devil threatens, I'll be back. I'd like to hope we could be prepared for temptation that comes our way. One definition of temptation is the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. If you were to pause and think for a moment about something that tempts you, what comes to mind? For many of us, donuts, candy, desserts in general can be quite a temptation. Unless we have a health issue that is exacerbated by sugary treats, that temptation tends to be fairly harmless. Now the temptation to cheat on your tests, or on your spouse, or on your taxes, holds the potential for more serious consequences. One kind of temptation that can be particularly damaging is that of comparison. To compare is to be human, 
It comes naturally, and although it's not all bad, comparison is insidious and must be monitored for its toxicity so it can be shut down when necessary. You're probably familiar with the phrase, keeping up with the Joneses, but did you know that that phrase joined the English language back in 1913? This idiom became a way to express using the comparison to your neighbor as a benchmark for our social class or for amassing of material goods, peering over your neighbor's fence and coveting their new cars or their expensive clothing. Rather than loving our neighbor, we are often tempted to compare ourselves to our neighbor. The problem today, of course, is that we can see over our neighbor's fences all over the world. We are bombarded by the curated lives of celebrities and of our friends on social media 24-7. Sometimes we realize that the media feeding our souls is not comparing apples to apples. And occasionally, we remember to not compare our insides to someone else's outsides. A perfect case in point, there was an Instagram influencer who ran up $10,000 in credit card debt in an effort to curate the picture-perfect life. She just couldn't keep up financially with the perfect life she was trying to show the world. Or how about the story of Chesley Christ, who won Miss USA in 2019? She was gorgeous, intelligent, athletic, and she had a heart of gold. If you want to hear about a perfect life, listen to this. Chesley ran track in college. She earned her law degree and her MBA from Wake Forest. She was an attorney who helped prisoners who may have been sentenced unjustly. She also was a correspondent on the TV show Extra, and she wrote a blog on fashion. She volunteered regularly at Dress for Success, which provides professional clothing to low-income women for job interviews. Her great light was one that inspired others around the world with her beauty and strength. She cared, she loved, she laughed, she shined. On January 30th, 2022, Chesley jumped from a 60-story building in New York City, ending her life at 30 years old. If we had compared our life to Chesley's, we may have felt bad about ourselves. From the outside, she appeared to have all of the successes that life can bring. On the inside, though, she was hurting. She was suffering from depression. Make no mistake, comparison robs us of joy, but it does something even worse. It chips away at our true identity. When Jesus was in the desert, the devil tempted him first with bread, which was very smart because Jesus was famished. Jesus wisely responded, one does not live by bread alone. Next, Jesus was tempted with power. 
He could have authority over all the kingdoms of the world if only he would worship the devil. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy again and said, worship and serve the eternal one, your God, only God and nobody else. Finally, the devil took Jesus to the very top of the highest building and told him to jump, for surely the angels would protect him and keep him safe. With confidence, Jesus said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, Jesus was well prepared for the temptations that came his way. He knew who he was and to whom he belonged. And he had the word of God tucked away in his heart. The devil used bread, power, and safety with Jesus. But it could be something else for us. It could be youth, beauty, and wealth or confidence, fame, and security. The point isn't the specific temptation as much as the underlying nature of temptation itself. David Lowes writes that temptation is not so often temptation towards something, usually portrayed as doing something you shouldn't be doing, but rather it is temptation away from something namely our relationship with God and the identity that we receive in and through that relationship. Notice how each of the temptations seek to erode and undercut Jesus' confidence in his relationship with God and therefore undermine Jesus' identity. When offered bread, Jesus responds with an affirmation of trust in God when tempted with power in exchange for allegiance to the devil, Jesus knows that his allegiance can only be given to the one from whom he has received his identity. Finally, the devil proposes that God is not trustworthy and goads Jesus into testing that relationship. But Jesus refuses. Rooted in the scriptures, Jesus is reminded not only that he has enough and is enough, but that he is of infinite worth in the eyes of God. How do those words sound to you this morning? You are enough. You have enough. You are of infinite worth in the eyes of God. I wonder if we might be able to resist the identity thief by intentionally spending some time in the desert. When Jesus taught his followers to ask our Father, lead us not into temptation, Rowan Williams wrote, Jesus meant, don't God, please don't push us into the time of crisis before you've made us ready for it. Don't push us until you've given us what we need to face it. Perhaps God will give us what we need as we spend time in the desert. Perhaps there really are gifts of the spiritual wilderness. As most of you know, this is the title of our Lenten devotional by Dana Trent, which you can still pick up today if you haven't gotten your copy. 
Lent gives us an opportunity to follow the example of Jesus' 40-day retreat into solitude, sacrifice, and spiritual practices, which are a launch pad for receiving God's gifts. On day two of our devotional, we read that a 40-day physical drought can induce spiritual plenty. But hear this word of caution. Life in the desert can be challenging. Lent is always and only bound for Easter, but it's not Easter yet. For those 40 days, we willingly, by way of solitude, isolation, and sacrifice, practice abandoning our earthly comforts for the sake of choosing Christ. Unfortunately, many of us are reluctant to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable. Who among us doesn't wish we could have a deeper bond with God without getting up early in the morning for meditation? Think about the cost of keeping cherished relationships alive. It involves a commitment of deliberate personal presence. Joyce Rupp writes about the time she joined the March of the National Women's Movement, which aimed to harness the political power of women to create transformative social change. Before the event, she heard remarks indicating how some of those participants wanted to, how little they wanted to give of themselves for the social change that they envisioned. I'm not going. I don't like to walk in the rain. The parking is too far away. It's going to be crowded. In the days following the march, she, she heard more of this reluctance to be inconvenienced or uncomfortable. We stood for hours and couldn't march. The speeches were way too long. We were told there'd be food and there wasn't any. We had to sit on the bus forever. Contrast that to the description former Georgia Congressman John Lewis gave in his book, Across That Bridge. While protesting their nonviolent and persistent efforts for racial equity, they were spit upon, verbally and physically abused, viciously beaten and jailed as criminals. Some ended up paying with their lives when they were brutally killed. I suppose we all have to ask the question, am I willing to pay the price for the transformation I seek in my personal life, in society, and in my relationship with God and with others? My spiritual director poses another question at the beginning of every Lenten season. Who do I wanna be by Easter? The question alone opens us up for change, for the possibility of transformation. Martin Luther King Jr. once wrote, I choose to live for and with those who find themselves seeing life as a long and desolate corridor with no exit signs. This is the way I'm going. If it means suffering a little bit, I'm going that way. If it means sacrificing, I'm going that way. If it means dying for them, 
I'm going that way because I heard the voice saying, do something for others. I imagine this is what the citizens in Germany were doing as they stood at Berlin's central station offering arriving Ukrainian refugees a place to stay. They held up signs with numbers and stick figures on them to communicate how many people they could welcome in their homes. It's what the Romanians were doing as they waited in their cars at the border so they too could bring these Ukrainian strangers their brothers and sisters back to their homes with them. Now listen, if you are willing to enter into times of solitude, isolation, and sacrifice during Lent, stay open to that which provokes you. Listen for an invitation from God. Be open to the new thing that God is wanting to grow in you and the new ways that the Spirit is trying to draw you closer. And perhaps most important of all, trust that God really is at work in our lives even when we can't immediately see the results. Think of that farmer who is ready to plant a new crop she has to prepare the soil for something new to be planted that can grow and flourish. The weeds have to be removed, nutrients added, and the ground must be broken up. This is dirty work. This is hard work. It takes time and patience. There is no such thing as speedy transformation. Nothing in a vegetable garden springs up instantly, except maybe weeds. Slowly but surely, we too will grow in our spiritual life. We will grow in our relationship with God. We will grow more confident in our identity as a child of God. We must learn to trust God during those times in the desert. Rockwell Kent wrote of his wilderness experience. In 1918, the artist and his nine-year-old son went on an adventure to Alaska that lasted seven months. Kent felt the northern wilderness calling to him, and he just had to go. They landed on Fox Island, a place that was completely deserted, except for an elderly Swede named Olsen, who was caring for two pairs of blue foxes and four goats. The mainland townspeople dismissed Olson as a crazy old man, but Kent found him to be a kind-hearted, genial old man with a vast store of knowledge and true wisdom, a man of deep experience, strong, brave, generous, and gentle like a child. Olson welcomed Kent and his son, and he gave them his ramshackle goat house to live in. Over the months together, Kent said he couldn't imagine needing anything more than that shack with the icy winds blowing through the cracks. The goat house had become a home. It was filled with books and wind, filled with a man's paintings and a child's love. 
During his desert experience, Kent wrote in his journal, these are the times in life when nothing happens, but in quietness, the soul expands. In quietness, we are better able to hear God's voice, step away from the noise of social media and the messages from our culture, turn away from the temptation to think you don't belong or you aren't enough, create space in your mind, body, and spirit each day of this Lenten season. Create space to listen to God, to be held by God, to soak in that eternal love who gives you your identity and your worth.